please stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. Today's um, scripture is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and the uh, scripture will be on the screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning, children. Uh, preschool to second grader, you're dismissed uh, for Children's Church. If you're visiting today, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Trinity City Church. It's good to see you. You're also coming in at uh, the very end of a sermon series. You're on week 10 of a 10-week sermon series where we're wrapping up a series called A Wonderful Life. Uh, The framework of the sermon series started with the the gospel story of God being our highest good, but the world and our experience of the Lord being ruined by sin, but restored in Christ. And that framework we use then to start to show how the light of Christ shines on every area of life, the life of the church, your work, culture, public life, and so on, that there's all these different areas of life that come alive and make more sense when we allow the glory of Jesus Christ to shine on them. And so we are going to end the sermon series with where this wonderful life of Christ is going and how it is wrapping up in the end, where history is going. As mentioned last week, our next sermon series that will begin next Sunday, which is the first Sunday of Advent, we will be tackling another New Testament book, and we will start a sermon series on 1 Corinthians. Uh, so that will begin next week. And the sermons that I usually preach, uh, the first sermons I usually preach on a book of the Bible is kind of like the, the movie trailer version uh, of uh, looking at the big, broad themes of the book and trying to just zoom out and seeing where we're going to go from the f- opening chapter to the last chapter. So that will be next week's sermon, and from there we'll dive in, and we'll go through it verse by verse, and whatever comes up, comes up. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you know there is a lot of controversial stuff that will come up, and we are going to tackle all of it. If that is news to you, you should read 1 Corinthians and see what you're in store for, Uh, because there'll be many times you're going to be like, man, I'm glad I am not speaking publicly on this verse, okay? Uh, So in that sense, please pray for me. I would really, really appreciate that. Let's go ahead and pray and then dive in uh, to this last sermon. Let's pray. God, your Son is the brightness of your glory and the exact image of your person. Death could not conquer him, nor tomb imprison him. 
as he shared our frailty in human flesh, help us to share his immortality in the spirit. Let no shadow of the grave terrify us and no fear of darkness turn our hearts from you, Lord. Reveal your son to us today and all of our days as the first and the last, the living one, our forever savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I mentioned a while ago, that, back in September actually, that uh, I was going to share more details of the story about how that education wing was destroyed uh, by water. And I wanted to use it at that sermon. That sermon was, was uh, towards the middle of September, but it was too good uh, to, to, to waste it there because of the imagery uh, that is set up in Revelation 21 as it relates to water, uh, because we know that water in Scripture can be a good thing. We think about the waters of baptism and the symbolizing of the washing away of our sin, but water in Scripture also is used to talk about uh, danger and destruction. Think about the flood narrative in the book of Genesis, and it's this latter meaning uh, that I thought of when this incident happened. It was, a, it was one of those Mondays, right? Of course the water damage happened on a Monday, right? Uh, that's, that's the way these things work. You're starting off your week, and uh, I remember actually came in a little bit late that morning because I was taking all these like old railroad ties that I pulled out my landscaping, and I tried to get there on Saturday, but the, the place I was taking to, they closed early, so then I had to come back during the week. Uh, so I was doing that, and then I get a phone call from our ministry assistant, Kim, and she is frantic on the phone. When are you coming in here? Why aren't you here? Uh, and she goes, she goes, the phrase that she used, like, and I had no idea what's going on, she says, lakes everywhere. And I go, yeah, it's Minnesota is what I'm thinking. Now, there's a lot of lakes around here. And what she meant was there's standing water everywhere. There's like just water dripping down the walls, coming through the ceiling. And sure enough, when I came here, by that time she had found a way to shut off the water. And what happened was a pipe came detached from uh, uh, just this fitting in our janitor's closet, and it came loose. And somewhere between Sunday morning uh, prior, the day prior, and that Monday morning, it happened. And it had been running ever since. It would be the equivalent of turning a hose on in your house and just leaving it running for several hours. And so on the first floor, it was indeed lakes everywhere. The whole first floor nearly was covered in about probably a quarter inch of water and it was running towards the low points. But then when you went to the lower level, that's where the real damage happened. That's why we have the door shut down there because it was turning into waterfalls that was dripping through the drywall with ceiling tiles dropping down. There's lights up there and electrical, so we had to figure out how to turn off the circuits, and it was just destroying everything. So I called uh, some contractors that are, that are friends of mine to figure out what to do, ended up calling a, a company, and the, uh, the foreman, the, the, the head person of that company, happened to be just right up on Snelling University. So he came within five minutes, had a crew there within 30 minutes, and they started to uh, just get rid of the water and, and uh, vacuum it out and, and open things up. And they got dehumidifiers down there, ran them for a good week. And the water is gone, but the damage is still there. Because uh, in contrast to this restoration crew that came in, our insurance company is, is still really riding the struggle bus here. So you can be praying for them, because uh, that's where things are at. We're still waiting for that, that claim to process. And uh, that's how things are going. And it was one of those things where, like, this is, 
this is how water is sometimes pictured in Scripture. If you heard the Scripture reading this morning and you were listening to it, it comes up in that reading. Because in the Bible, especially when it talks about the sea, the sea becomes a metaphor for everything that opposes God's kingdom. It's evil and unbelief, idolatry, death, and Satan. And all these things are wrapped up into this imagery of the sea, this, this tossing and this turning, this, this dangerous thing when you think about like a storm on a sea and you're, you're on the sea, maybe, maybe in a ship or something like that. And it's one of these, these images of like things are unsettled, things are not peaceful, things are trying to destroy me, and, and now water and the sea becomes this metaphor of everything we experience in this life that's just tossing us around and threatening our life and pushing us towards death, the evil, the destruction, the injustice, that is the turning of the sea that we experience in this life right now. And so we are going to look at the reality of what is going to happen to that sea in the end, the sea of sin and death and evil, when we look again at this gospel reality that God's grace in Christ will restore all things to the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, what the wages of sin are. Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. If everything in our being we know that death is not the way it's supposed to be. When somebody in your life that you love dearly is diagnosed with a life-threatening disease, it's unsettling, and there's something in your gut that says this is not the way it's supposed to be, and that's the wages of sin is death, and death is one of the most unnatural things in the world. The scriptures speak about death as something that, that happens to our entire selves, our bodies, and our souls. When we die, we no longer belong to life in this world, but rather, as the Old Testament describes it, we now belong to the realm of the dead, a place described as being in the depths of the earth and under the water. It's a state where one is forever, and you are forever weak and powerless. You live in silence, darkness, and decay. People do not care for one another in this state of mind, in this state of existence. And God is no longer praised, nor are his wonders seen anymore. It's a place where injustice reigns forever and ever and ever. When you get to the New Testament, this state of death, this experience of death, is also described as everlasting destruction, which results from God's judgment, where God hands us over to our desires to run away from life and salvation and gives us what we want in death and judgment. And no one talks about God's judgment more in the New Testament than Jesus himself. He describes judgment and this state of death as darkness. Those that are judged are bound hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness, Jesus says. He also describes it as fire, that we are thrown into the fiery furnace, a place with unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And God's judgment is a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, that those in this place will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, where they're tormented with fire and sulfur forever and ever and ever. Jesus also describes this, this experience as suffering. He says that in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is talking about the ongoing physical, emotional, and mental torment 
of this state and this place. And there's always a debate within Christian circles. Is this language that Jesus uses, is it literal or symbolic? A famous British preacher named Charles Spurgeon believed it was literal. He said, quote, if a man were to threaten to give me a metaphorical blow on the head, I should care very little about it. Bring it on, right? He would be welcome to give me as many as he pleased if it was metaphorical. And that's just one of his points. But I disagree with him. I do think it's a metaphor. But in this instance, it's not a metaphor that's, that's, that's pointing to a less intense reality, but rather a reality that's far, far worse. John Calvin said, quote, Because no description can deal adequately with the gravity of God's vengeance against the wicked, their torments and tortures are figuratively expressed to us by physical things. By such expression, the Holy Spirit certainly intended to confound all our senses with dread. In other words, these are metaphors that Jesus uses to actually point to something that's more intense that we could never wrap our minds around, and we should fear it. We should think upon it with dread, and it actually shouldn't be something that we would want to think about because it is so dreadful. And that's why in Scripture, death in this state of God's judgment is also in contrast with the experience of life and salvation. Life, unlike death, is an experience that's full of the unity of a, of a whole person, both body and soul. It's what it means when we are truly and fully human. That is what it means to live and to have life. Life is to be in harmony with all of your surrounding without threat of disease or disaster or injustice. Life is satisfaction, fullness, joy, blessedness, virtue, abundance, peace with your neighbor, and fellowship with God forever. Psalm 36, 5 through 9, the whole psalm is a reflection on God's love and righteousness. And then he gets to these verses where he says, quote, They, God's people, will feast on the abundance of your house. God will give them drink from his river of delights. For you, with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. And in God's house, it is saying there is enough to feast on that will forever satisfy your soul. In God's presence, there's enough to drink to quench any thirst. Why? Because God is the source of all love and all life. To experience God is to experience life and to have your life sustained. That phrase in these verses, when we see light, is an expression that means to really experience life in its fullest sense. So the phrase, in your light we see light, means that we truly experience the fullness of life when we have God's light to shine on our life and all that is around us. And that is the good news of the gospel. It's mainly a story about God not letting us get pulled into darkness and death, but rather he gets involved. He does something about it so that he would pull us towards light and life, and he does that in Jesus Christ. The gospel, John, opens with these verses. In him was life, talking about Jesus Christ, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus taught this about himself in John 8, chapter, or verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus displayed this reality in his earthly ministry. He healed the eyes of the blind. 
healed the sick, casted out demons, raised the dead, and forgave sin. And in doing these things, he wasn't trying to just put on a show with no goal in mind. This is what happens when eternal light comes to dwell among us. It contacts darkness and it dispels. It comes in contact with death and brings life because eyes are supposed to see. Our bodies are supposed to be healthy. And life is meant to be continuous and eternal. The powers of evil in the Gospels are no match for the eternal goodness of Jesus Christ. And sin is no match for the eternal offer of grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus in the Gospel is started to make all things new because he is light and life. As Jesus prayed in John 17, 1 through 3, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. Listen to this. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God is not knowing about eternal life. Knowing Jesus is not knowing about eternal life. It's knowing eternal life in the flesh, in the gospel, in the, in the presence you get to experience every moment of your faith that you place in Jesus Christ because he pours out his spirit on you. And when Jesus prayed this prayer, he is facing the cross. He is facing darkness. He is facing sin and evil and death. And on that cross, Jesus takes our place. Although Jesus Christ never sinned, God, him, God made him to be sin for us so that in Christ we may become righteous forever. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and the righteousness of God in Christ covers us. And in the court of God, we are now declared justified, innocent, righteous. And the power of sin in that moment on the cross was no match for God's grace in Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus, who is eternal life, takes on death. Because Jesus is fully man, then he has a body that can bleed and that can die. Yet Jesus is also fully God, so it is impossible for him to die. And so when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, it wasn't the end of him, but it was the end of death. Death cannot destroy eternal life, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. But when he died on the cross, he takes sin and death out. And Jesus does this by also raising from the dead, defeating sin, death, and evil for good. And so now we have the promise of redemption, salvation, and eternal life, which is guaranteed to anybody who would have faith and take hold of Jesus Christ, who is eternal life. And the reality now is in this world, we experience both death and life. And so much of Scripture is set up to communicate to us that you are moving towards one or the other, but if you open your heart out in humble faith to the saving power and eternal life who is Jesus Christ our Lord, he will pull you out of death forever and ever and ever. But if you harden your heart towards him, then you will be pulled towards death forever and ever and ever. One of the main verses that shapes this sermon series comes from Ephesians 5, 13 through 14, where it says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, 
and Christ will shine on you. And I am convinced in the core of my being that that is the wonderful life. When you wake up from the dead, your faith becomes awakened and it grabs on to Jesus Christ and he transforms you to be truly human. And then you start to see the world as it ought to be and how you hope it will be, where God stitches together and, 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 and brings everything uh, into Christ so that there's peace and harmony and no longer any injustice or evil anymore. The Christ, Christ's light will shine on every area of life and it just comes alive with glory and hope because now you know where history is going. And it's not grounded in some type of fake assurance. It's grounded in the hope of the gospel. This education wing, will it be restored someday? Probably, maybe. I've never worked with this insurance company where I had to do a claim before, so I guess it will. If they do their jobs, it will happen, right? But that's kind of a weak assurance, isn't it? But when you face sin and death and the injustices of the world, you don't have that weak assurance facing those things if you have Jesus Christ. You have absolute assurance in the gospel of Jesus Christ where you have in history Jesus Christ entering into our world and showing us in an objective way that death will not hold him down, that the blood of Christ speaks a better word and will give you forgiveness forever and ever. And if you want to be on the right side of history, you've got to be grafted in to Jesus Christ because that's where history is going. It's going to find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and all that he promises in that day forever and ever and ever. And that's why we get to Revelation 21.1 and we're grounded in this promise. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And look at this, brothers and sisters. There is no longer any what? There's no longer any sea. The one who stood up in the Gospels and calmed the storm on the sea will again put an end to the destruction and death of all things. And what will that look like? The verses continue. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Right now, brothers and sisters, the reality is, is that we hurt. Right now, we ache. And right now, we grieve. But one day, brothers and sisters, we will not. So all of our pain and all of our crying and all of our tears are experienced right now, but they are not experienced without hope. We know that out of suffering will come life because of the gospel. And on that day, we will enter a haven of rest. Right now, we pass through the storms and a world that is full of pride, selfishness, envy, scorn, and injustice. And these things hit us around like a restless sea that is always rolling and throwing us around. But one day, Jesus will come again and say, Peace, be still, and the sea will be no more. And on that day of eternal joy, that joy will spring up in our hearts without end. 
all will be calm and we will have peace that can never be taken away. It will be an unspeakable joy that is holy and perfect. We not only experience that joy as an appetizer right now, but we look forward when we will feast on it forever and ever and ever. Right now it might be a stream that we experience, but on that day, God, who is the fountain of all life, will open up and fill our souls forever and ever. Right now, the world is out of tune, and all areas of life are like instruments, different instruments that are out of tune. Our lives, our relationships, our work, our knowledge, our art, our recreation, our public life, and our churches can often sound like an instrument that's out of tune. But in that day, all these instruments will be in tune again because of the gospel, and they will sing a symphony together, all for the glory of God. On that day, through the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit, every single area of life will be like a fine-tuned instrument that combines together to sing praise and glory to God forever and ever and ever. And that's the little bit of the story behind that sign that you heard about. That was providence at work. We had no plans that that would be done uh, today, this, as Tyson highlighted, was years and years and years in the making. And it's behind what's behind the mission statement, as he talked about, that we are joining God in the renewal of all things, that we, as we still see evidence of the storm, that we have hope that the renewal is happening and it will end in Christ and all things will be made new, the sea will be made, uh, the sea will be no more. And what I think about and why I wanted that that design there and that verse there where you walk in from a week where you're just getting hit around by the sea. You're getting hit around by the things that, that it isn't the way it ought to be. When you see injustice in your city and broken relationships and you get news again that, that somebody else in your, love, in your life has, has, has gotten disease. When you, when, you, when you experience all these things and the brokenness of the world and even the depths of darkness that you sometimes find in your own heart. You're just coming here and you're weary and you might be experiencing hopelessness. And I want the first thing that you see when you come into this place that's a sanctuary from that storm to remember where history is going, where God declares to you again on Sunday morning, behold, I will make all things new and you will rest and you will hope and you will be healed and you will look forward to that day that's real and it's as real as the air going into your lungs right now because Jesus Christ is alive and the power that raised him from the dead will make that happen. It is sure, brothers, and I want that to be in your hearts every single time that you walk here in here on a Sunday morning. Because behind that verse is all these promises in Revelation 21, 5 through 7. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. In other words, in the gospel, grace will restore all things.